Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, music underscoring me, done by one Sam Brandt, up and coming artist, producer, musician. You know, love his music going forward. We're presented as always by betonline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts, and of course, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use that promo code PODCAST1, all caps. You receive that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag. Boy, do I have a special episode here going deep with my friend, former NFL colleague, president of the Browns, president, longtime president of Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Banner, joins me on the podcast. We dive into all things NFL, NFL business, NFL contracts, NFL free agency, NFL tanking. Speaking of which, my opening rant is about the word tanking. I'm hearing it a lot with the Miami Dolphins. I don't like the word. So I don't know if I agree with the concept that people are talking about or not, but let's get rid of the word. It's got to be a better word. And maybe the word is hashtag trust the process, like the Philadelphia 76ers. But quickly, players don't tank. What are they not going to block, not going to tackle? Coaches don't tank. What, are they going to go home at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and, and play golf and not really work? So I think when we talk about tanking, we're talking about a front office philosophy. But I just don't know if tanking is the right word. We, we talk about baseball teams that don't jump into free agency and basketball teams that, you know, I, I just, I guess the question is, what is the, what is, if, what are losing teams doing if not tanking? Okay. So I guess what people mean by tanking is, well, there are teams that sign a bunch of free agents and they lose, but they're not tanking. Well, is that really different than teams that don't sign free agents and try to develop young players and maybe they're getting better instead of getting worse like these other teams that are losing? I'm just not getting it. Now, I guess what I'm doing is not ascribing a ton of blame to these teams that are just trying to build up. And I think about Sam Hinkie, the architect of the Trust the Process and the Philadelphia 76ers. And when I did talk to him a couple times, and he was a neighbor, I found out, because I, he came up to me at a conference, and I never met him. He looks at me and says, you're fast. I'm like, what? You're fast? I mean, what does that mean? Well, I live next to you in Philadelphia down the road, and I saw you run by all the time, and you're fast. Okay. Anyway, his philosophy boiled down in, in five words to me. There's no reward for mediocrity. And that seems to be a theme in sports in the Moneyball era. There's no reward for mediocrity. So what teams that have done this, whatever this is, and I don't think it's tanking, sort of tear down the foundation to the studs and build back up and hope for generational players. The problem with football is there is no Zion, there is no LeBron, there is no player that's going to shape the franchise. You know, and yes, people talk about each year there's this Tua and there's whoever, but I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly what the Dolphins are doing. I, I just think generally there's a feeling that it's better and again, people have a different version of this, and we can define better to be really bad than really mediocre. And I guess the feeling is it's better because then you have opportunity for better draft picks, more cap room. So it's been done before on the cap room side. We had Jacksonville with a ton of cap room, and Joe Banner and I get into this as well. Oakland, you know, in a time where there wasn't much, there was hardly 
150 million cap room. They had opened up with 50, 60 million one year uh, available cap space. So these are the kind of things that go on. But again, my point is, I don't know if tanking's the right word. I wish there was another word, trust the process, where you're just trying to restart, reload, and maybe restarting, reloading, something like that. Because I don't any no one's intentionally losing. Certainly not the coaches, not the players. As for the front office, it's a philosophy to not tread water. So are you tanking if you've just decided not to tread water and you know you're not going to be an elite team? So what do you do? I just think this is an interesting discussion. I bring it as a rant, maybe ranting at the name, but really having hoping people understand the concept, more philosophy of playing young players and going young, if you will, than a decided decision to lose games. And as for the Dolphins, you know, they hung with the Cowboys for a while. They'll, they'll win a game or two, and then what do we call the team they beat? Tanking plus, even though that team maybe has won a few other games? I mean, so I think these things get labels, and I just don't know if they're the right way to label them. So that's my opening rant of the week. Now word from Wondery. We've got a new podcast at The Athletic. It's called The Lead. They bring you one big story from The Athletic's all-star team. And some stories will be a fresh take on a news event. Others will be an in-depth look at what's been happening off the field. The leads your daily lens in the biggest stories of the day, told by the people who write them, hosted by Kavita Davidson, Anders Kelto. They'll take you inside. So stay tuned at the end of the podcast, the end of this business of sports. We'll give you a preview of the lead. And don't forget to subscribe to it uh, at the lead on Apple Podcasts and wherever you're listening to your podcasts, including right here. Now my guest. Uh, you know him well. He's a regular guest on the podcast. Without further ado, my friend, Joe Banner. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because we've got this little uh, little game uh, this week, and it's, you know, you as president of the Packers, I'm sorry, president of the Eagles for so long, me as vice president of the Packers for nine and a half years, and they're getting together. Thursday night for those of you listening before the game some of you will listen to this after the game but you know I guess my first thought is thinking about our former matchups I remember it's just so interesting because I remember one time we started the season hosting the Eagles and I remember you coming out we saw each other and it was one of those games if you remember kind of back and forth not really well played and I think it was your was it Greg Lewis punt returner muffed a punt at the end and we won in a lucky bounce and game we didn't play well but we won and it kind of catapulted us the rest of the year we won like four or five games like that and I think your season kind of went the other way losing a few games like that and here we are again the Packers have kind of squeaked out a few wins not playing that well although the defense is and the Eagles have had some rough bounces, and now they meet again. And so if you have memories of that game and how those seasons went and, and just sort of paralleling it to what's happening now with the Packers and Eagles. Well, of course I remember those games. You actually remember the painful losses much more clearly yeah. than the great wins, which is why most people can't do these uh, high-level jobs for forever before they just uh, restrain too much. So... Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think if we uh, had this conversation four weeks ago, 
uh, neither of us would predict that both teams' defenses are probably playing better than both teams' offenses. When you consider the uh, talent and the quarterbacks and the head coaches, um, that may be a little more true for the Packers and the Eagles, where they've kind of had some deficiencies in both areas, partially driven by, by injuries. Um, but it's a, it's, an, it's a game that would be very good for the Packers to win and maintain some uh, momentum and, and a lead in the division that I think is going to be very tough. For the Eagles, it's really an important game. I mean, they have a real tough schedule coming up. They're on the short side of some injuries. Um, I do think they could survive a loss. I think they're very talented and well-coached, and they'll still be formidable before the year's out. But getting into a one-and-three hole is really not where you want to be and what they're facing. Yeah, and they've had tough losses. I mean, games they could have won. And I mean, no one needs to hear this more than us, but these games come down to bounces here or there. It could go a lot of different ways. And, you know, watching the Eagles lose to the Lions the other day, it was just kind of head-scratching because the Lions almost look like they kept trying to give it to the Eagles, and the Eagles wouldn't take it, and there was these OPI calls against Sproles, and it just seemed like it was a... It was a countless errors that just said, we're not going to win this game. And there's a little of that with the Falcons, too. seems uncharacteristic for a good team like the Eagles. Yeah, I was watching that game even when they were down 10 points, totally sure they were going to win. Yeah. I mean, I understand they're 2-0-1, but I really don't think the Lions are a particularly uh, strong team. And I'm a whole fan, a big fan of their coaching philosophy. And sure, the Eagles are losing, uh, missing important players, but Detroit lost a couple of key players during the game, and I still would have preferred the Eagles roster over the Lions, and they're playing at home. And like you're saying, you kept seeing situations that they had a chance to, you know, get closer and take the lead, and it just kept not happening. And, you know, that's a little concerning when, when that happens, because there were, there were reasons it happened, and I was too early to come to any dramatic conclusions. Uh, but there are reasons, you know, why that kind of stuff happens and they need to you know stop that now if they're gonna you know be what we all thought they could be before the season started yeah and and to wrap up this game again for those listening before thursday night you'll or those after who'll know the result but wow the packers because listen i admit it i was part of that packer era which kind of lasted forever until maybe this past year where we eschewed free agency and focused on draft and develop. And uh, I got to admit, I was part of that philosophy. But, oh, boy, watching the Packers, it seems like every impact play or player this season, 3-0 so far as we record this, is by a free agent. Whether it's Darius Smith or Preston Smith or Adrian Amos, and excellent drafting, of course, with Alexander, but it's just amazing how a team that avoided free agency like the plague, at least this early part of the season, is just buoyed by this incredible free agent play on defense. Yeah, and I don't really think that's going to change. I mean, those are uh, impactful plays. They look like good signing. Um, it's clear defense is going to play a real role in how their team goes this year. You know, I worked with Mike Patton. Uh, yeah. I think he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the league, and he's willing to be aggressive, and he coaches fearlessly. And uh, he rallies players to uh, support each other and create a unified unit. Um, those, were, those were good pickups, and they fit what he does. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, and you brought up something that 
I want your opinion on I was never part of I was part of two coaching changes, but never part of what happened in Green Bay, which is change the coach, but keep the defensive coordinator. And obviously it's working. Uh, your thoughts on that generally and, and what the Packers did. So I usually think of it as a great testament to the head coach. I mean, we've seen it a few times. Mike Tomlin did it when he came into Pittsburgh. You know, there have been a couple of examples. And to me, and you experienced this, we've discussed it. Yeah. You know, people in the league tend to hire people they know and they're comfortable with and they trust. When what you really want them to do is just do a legitimate search and hire the best available person. Right. And uh, so when I see a head coach who doesn't have a, a historical relationship with a coordinator and come in and keep him, uh, I view it as a sign that he's uh, not just focused on surrounding himself with people that are loyal to him, but he's actually trying to find the best people. Now, we've also seen that happen where a general manager forced a hire, and I'm never in favor of that. and not sure exactly which way it went in Green Bay, but I think you have to give the head coach the power to hire his coaches. And if he went up there and made the decision to keep that, and I give him a lot of credit, I think it's a show of independence and self-confidence. Okay, let's move to the issues that everyone's talking about. And hopefully you and I have been kind of leading voices on this, having experienced it. But we haven't talked about it together. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, you and I have talked about Antonio Brown on radio shows and, and interviews and with papers. And, and I'll just give you an open blank canvas. <laughs> what do you want to say? You know what I've said, of course, that it's now three teams in six months that have that have made an exit from him, all incurring damage, whether it be a huge cap number in Pittsburgh, two draft choices in Oakland, and a potential $9 million loss in New England. So, blank canvas on Antonio Brown. Well, first... Uh... You know, and again, we saw this uh, together and discussed it. Talent is intoxicating. Yeah. I mean, you live your life. Uh, you get to uh, one chance to put together a team each year, and then you can't do anything about it for another year. And when you get difference-making uh, talent uh, that could be potentially on your team or is on your team, you know, the ability to rationalize is, uh, is quite profound and often uh, illogical. Um, you know, it was interesting story to follow for a while um at this point he's out of the league i hope everybody's going to move on and you know I'm sure at some point he'll he'll resurface and we'll have to discuss it again but uh, you know my my primary reaction to it is it's sad i mean so many are uh, so limited in the uh, opportunities they have and the potential they have in life and he was uh, uh, given a gift and worked hard to develop the gift of having a skill that uh you know, could provide great joy and fun and financial security and relationships. And, um, you know, he's missed now the opportunity to continue taking advantage of that. I lived through this a bit for the year I was in Cleveland uh, with Josh Gordon, although it was the one year that he was actually successful. And, um, you know, your primary reaction, even when you're very close to it, is more of a human, uh, you know, almost sadness about the situation. But at the same time, you're running a team. It is what it is, and you've got to deal with the realities. And you said so well. He's been in three different places, and he's uh, created significant harm to all three places. Um, I, 
as you know, when we were in Philadelphia, I have had a very narrow definition of kind of what was acceptable. We believe profoundly in smart players, ambitious players, mm-hmm. hardworking players, driven players. Uh, and I think you can have an exception here or there, but if you build your team on the exception, you're going to be in trouble. Any of the three situations surprise you more than the others, and I'll phrase it as Steelers who put up with him and seem to tolerate and, and have Tomlin manage him for years, exiting with that huge cap number, dead money. B, the Raiders, who gave up two draft choices, albeit getting out of the guaranteed money. Or C, the Patriots signing him, giving him a bonus, and playing him before exiting. I mean, any quick thoughts on one situation over the other, one one that surprised you more, one that you thought they would try to make it work more than others? Well, first three out of three, surprising. Um, And really surprised now that, you know, we've seen what we've seen publicly that Pittsburgh did manage him and have him, you know, show up to work enough to get on the field and catch over a hundred balls for six straight years. That's remarkable. But I think the most surprising to me is knowing everything they knew, if the Patriots actually put themselves in a position where they could possibly lose this grievance and owe him $9 million, I'm not surprised they took the chance. And part of that is history and part of that is arrogance. And the arrogance in this case, I actually think is healthy that you just believe in yourself enough and your system enough that you take a chance. Yeah, uh, I don't take chances on players that are accused of rape, but not, nonetheless, the culture that reflects confidence, I actually think, is generally uh, a good thing. But how they could have written a contract knowing what they knew that didn't provide complete, you know, unarguable protections for them is really, I mean, this is not just rumored to be, but actually the smartest team in the league. Uh, so I guess... Just knowing that they knew everything they knew at that moment and that could have happened, I'd probably have to put first on the list of surprises. But all three were very surprising. I said about the Patriots signing, one of these adages, forces, whatever you want to call it, is not going to be true. Number Mm -hmm. one, past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. Number two, the Patriots and Belichick get everyone to fall in line. So one of them was not going to be true. (laughs) And it turned out, number two, because Brown couldn't hold himself back from tweeting or whatever at that woman. And then, of course, it it deteriorated. But you and I have written these contracts. It seemed like there was a two-week period. I said, I wrote, there's no way they're paying them before the two weeks come up. And, of course, before those two weeks came up on the five million first installment, they released them. Now there's going to be a fight. But... (laughs) It almost seemed to me where the Patriots and Mr. Kraft are saying, even if you win, you know, we got the money. So you didn't get the money. We got it. You got to come after us. Because, again, signing bonus is signing bonus. They took him on the team. They played him in a game. They knew what they knew while he was still on the team. So, yeah, I see this an uphill battle for them legally. But it looks like they just said, okay, so what? We're holding the money. Yeah, you said that well. They're going to have to uh, claim that whatever happened between the, after the game and before they cut him was enough to justify um, losing the bonus. Because anything that happened before that, their actions uh, indicate they, they knew and they accepted. Whether he 
or the agent specifically told them, um, you know, they knew what they knew and then they played him. And then five days later they cut him. So they, the claim will have to be for them to have a chance to prevail that something happened in those five days that was big enough to void a guarantee, which is you and I know can happen, but is not easily done. And at least from what we know publicly, that's going to be very hard for them to prove. Yeah. You think he'll play again? I'm not saying ever. Uh, you think he'll play again in 2019? I do not think he'll play in 2019, but I won't fall off my chair if that prediction is wrong. <laughs> yeah. The last question, you mentioned the agent. We know him well. We've both done a lot of deals with Drew Rosenhaus. We like him personally. Nope. Do you think... I want to phrase it the right way. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, he's not tough enough on Brown, whatever it is. I've been in these situations where you want to tell a player what he needs to hear, but maybe if you do, you become the ex agent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you think that's going on here? You know, I lived with Drew and T.O. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I actually feel like, uh, um, and as you said, we know Drew well. So this is pure speculation based on the uh, characters involved. Um, I bet that Drew is saying some of the hard things that need to be said, but maybe not all of them as firmly as they need to be said. Listen, Drew, and, and this is not unlike most agents, they've built their relationships by convincing players, I'm your guy, I will fight for you. I'm not going to be looking out for my self-interest. I'm not going to be looking to create a recruiting story. You hire me, I will be front and center fighting on your behalf. Um, and, you know, so you've got to be a little careful, and they're all human, um, in looking out for your self-interest and finding the balance where you're trying to tell the player the right thing to do. Um, and at the same time, you're not doing it to the point where he starts feeling like he's not sure if you're on his side. Right. And I believe if I look back at T.O., that's what Drew did. And watching what he was saying publicly here, my guess is it's the same story. Moving on, before we get to Jalen Ramsey, the sort of the current situation, I was asked a lot over these past couple months, and I want your thoughts. You know, are there is there now a template for whatever you want to call it, agitation towards a new contract, towards a better situation, and just sort of throw out players like Elliot, Clowney. Aaron Donald, two straight years, Mac, uh, Julio Jones. I guess my answer, and I want your answer, my answer has been, I guess so, if you're truly special. And I would put Melvin Gordon in the non-special category. So I don't know the right answer, but people are sort of saying, is this a new era? Is there a template now for agitation towards a new contract, towards a new situation like Clowney? Uh, your thoughts? Well, let's be clear. There's two parts to this. One is players now are much more aware of and understand the leverage they have, especially if they're a top-tier player. And that genie ain't getting put back in the bottle. They're in a new era. Things are only going to move further in that direction. And I think both you and I would agree that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the system has been... Um, out of balance, not out, I don't think unfairly, but out of balance and players uh, creating and having a little bit more leverage and standing up for themselves uh, is a trend in the right direction, I think. 
Now, what's the right strategy? Well, I think your list was perfect. We've watched Darnold do it one way, worked. Khalil Mack, the same way, it worked. Clowney, the same way, it worked. And then we've watched guys like Bell and Gordon to a less extent, because to me, Gordon is just, you've got to know who you're picking a fight with. And there are a group of teams in the league, as you and I know, that they're just going to stick to their guns. Mm-hmm. They're not going to worry about, uh, you know, some short-term agitation in the locker room. They're going to worry about long-term precedence and sticking to their beliefs. And the Chargers are clearly one of those teams. So I just think uh, that was ill-advised. And my sense is it was more Gordon than the agent because Gordon said the things he said publicly about Bell. So right. um, I don't think you come into training camp like Ramsey did, act like everything's fine, play two games, and suddenly, uh, by the way, privately asking for a trade anytime you want, go for it. But publicly taking a stand and then refusing to play, I just don't think you put a team in a position uh, where they look so weak if they accommodate you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a disaster for them. And you've got, you got to find a way to do it. Uh, listen, I think Oakland made a big mistake in getting rid of Mac, but at least they did it in a way that they saved face. And it didn't look like, um, at least for the moment, time will tell. You could just you know, scare them into uh, doing whatever you wanted. So, uh, you know, I, I just think there, I don't know that there's a template because I don't think there's only one way to do it, but there is a better way to do it that gives you the best chance to end up with the result you want. Mm-hmm. In Mac's case, he had to get traded to get the contract he wanted. In Donald's case, he was able to stay where he was and get the contracts he wanted. But we can also start to see some examples of how we can misuse this uh, newfound power that the players have in a way that is not. I mean, if I was thinking of acquiring Jalen Ramsey, and I now know that if he becomes disgruntled, even right in the middle of a season, he is just going to sort of go on strike. Mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time giving up a lot of draft compensation and giving him a huge contract, knowing what my owner is going to say to me if that ever happens. So I just don't think it's a good strategy uh, in, on his part. And I do think we've seen some strategies that seem to be effective. It's ironic, you know. You have you've, we've had this from Leonard Fournette a little bit, and 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 Ramsey and a team that's run by Mister Law and Order, <laughs> Tom Coughlin. So, yeah. what's going on there? And you like the coach, you know, and that they seem to be a decent team. What what do you think's going on down there? Well, I listen. I think that the uh, the day of uh, Law and Order uh, head coaches or general managers. Um, are gone. It doesn't mean you can't be, listen, I worked with Andy Reid. There was yeah. nobody more, you know, I mean what I say and I say what I mean, and you got to live by those rules, although I don't have many rules, and you can always come in my office and discuss it with me, and I will always treat you with respect, and I will always treat you honestly. Um, that can still work, but the my way of the highway guys, I think are going to really struggle to uh, be big successful uh, head coaches are general managers in the league. Um, you know, the fact that uh, the coach got Ramsey to play in a game that, frankly, if this was his strategy, he probably shouldn't have played in. Yeah, and I don't yeah. agree with the strategy, but if this is the strategy he chose, it uh, tells me that his relationship with the coach is at least okay. I don't know if it's great or bad, but I think it's at least okay. Uh, he, of course, you know, no big mystery. He has publicly said that his, co- his problem is with the uh, front office. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, the front office's job is, as you and I know and respect it, 
help in the acquisition of players and then kind of manage the contracts and cap in a way to maximize your chance of having as many good players as possible. Then you get out of the way, and it's the head coach's job. Doesn't sound like that's what's happening in Jacksonville. <laughs> He's getting out of the way, right. You know, and speaking of front office, we have to go to this team because I, I sort of take issue with the word tanking, and everyone's talking about it now with the Dolphins. And they traded Tunsil and they traded Fitzpatrick and got great compensation for it. But obviously, players and coaches don't tank. Players don't stop tackling and blocking. Coaches don't stop working. It's a front office thing. But there's got to be a better name. It just seems to me this is, I don't know, you were involved in this Cleveland Browns sort of setting this. What is this? And is it good for the league? And does it work? So this is my favorite question of the day. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean just this day. I mean this period of time. Um, one, I despise the word tanking because it almost has some uh, connotation that isn't as negative as what it is. Although I completely agree with you. The coaches are going to coach as hard as they can. The players are going to play as hard as they can. Um, you know, it almost sounds strategic. Where what it is is, and again, I don't know what the right one word for it is, but they're trying to lose. The organization is trying to lose. To me, that sounds much worse than tanking. So I hate that you kind of get away with being able to call it uh, tanking. And then let's differentiate. A lot of successful teams have turned around by making some short-term sacrifices for long-term gains. We did it when we got to Philadelphia. I was doing it in the one year that I was in Cleveland. So the idea of making some short-term sacrifices for some long-term gains to create some extra draft picks or position your cap those are, to me, uh, good strategic decisions and should result, though, in a team by year two of this being solid and by three being very competitive, unless you're making a lot of mistakes. The idea that you literally need to tear the team down to the point where there's actually nothing left that will be a meaningful contributor to success in two or three years, I just don't see as necessary. There's 50 years of examples of teams that were bad, that got good, without having to go, you know, 1 in 31 over two years. So why put yourself through all that additional pain uh, when at least so far it looks like what it actually does is just take it, make it take longer to get to good. We haven't seen somebody in football do this and get to great. People forget the Jaguars did this a few years ago. They did it a little bit with draft picks and a lot with cap room. They got up to $120 million in cap room when that was a – Massive amount of money, yeah. even more than it is now. And San Francisco did the same thing a couple of years ago when yeah, they Oakland. hired the new coach. Yeah. Uh, Oakland did the same thing. Cleveland took it even a little bit further, and now Miami. So I just I don't think you have to do this to get to great. Uh, so I don't understand why you would. You do create a whole bunch of unintended consequences. I can tell you, it's hard to hold on to employees. It's hard to keep a coaching staff motivated. It's hard for them to trust you're going to stick with them. General manager, too. Look what happened to Sashi in Cleveland. Whether it was deserved or not, he clearly thought he was promised more time, and he never got to, you know, the benefit of the time. So um, hard to attract free agents, even though you have all that money. Keep in mind, I'm not saying impossible. I'm just saying hard. Uh, you got young players that you want to develop a mindset of hard work and determination and a winning culture. You know, I know it sounds crazy to the public, but it's easier to do that if you're at least competitive and maybe winning four or five games, and you're literally getting blown out week after week. So I just think the Dolphins are taking it too far, 
but the base strategy that they're trying to employ has some merit. Um, I would not be trading away young potential Pro Bowl players whose rights they own for a long time yeah. and some at very good prices. I would not be doing that. Um, but the theory of taking a step back to move forward. I mean, we, we, won, uh, we hired Andy Reid. Uh, we cleaned out uh, some veterans, some cap room, accumulated some draft picks, and won five games. The next year, we won 11. The four years after that, we went to four straight championship games. So why do you have to go one and 31 and put your team and your employees and your fans through that misery? Yeah. And I guess the question I always have is for what, for, for, uh, you know, someone like Tua Tagalovia or, or the, the quarterback at Oregon. I mean, this is not basketball, you know, this is not Zion or LeBron. So I don't even know for what, you know, I, and and we've seen young quarterbacks so rarely have impacts, um, you know. So I guess that's how I make my question is: what what is this really about? Yeah, well, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's theoretically, it's about guaranteeing yourself of getting a great quarterback, but there's no way to do that. I mean, I, I remember the year Andy Reid left Philadelphia to go to Kansas City, and they had the first pick in the draft, and they needed a quarterback. They ended up trading for Alex Smith because there wasn't a quarterback in that draft that they thought was worth the first pick, and they were right. You know, Tua looks phenomenal, but you know what? He's had a lot of injuries, and we're not sure what he'd do at the NFL yeah. level. So there's, you're right. No, no, no one player determines success, and I don't care who you're drafting or how sure it looks. You are never sure. Joe, so we got to wrap up. I know our time is limited. Last question. The Cowboys took care of Zeke. They have Cooper on, a, on, on his last year and, of course, Dak on his last year. How would you go about that from the Cowboys' point of view, and what do you think Dak should be doing as from an agent point of view? Well, I think, uh, and I've actually said, first of all, I think Cooper is very smart. Waiting will only help. Mm -hmm. um, and I know people say, what if he gets hurt? But we've seen lots of examples of the last four or five years now with major players getting hurt, free agency, and still getting full market value. So I'm not saying there's no risk, but it's so small. Uh, more players should be staying um, unsigned till they get closer to or hit free agency. And then they should be taking short-term deals with very large percentage of it guaranteed. Mm -hmm. He seems to be thinking that way. That's good. Uh, Dak, for me, is in, a, is in the perfect uh, position. He is either going to get a great offer, which will be about dollars and structure, or he's in the best position we've seen, including Cousins, to take two tags and be a young quarterback on a winning team with phenomenal visibility to be completely free and nobody can do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he'll do one or the other. I think he's going to either get a great deal. I think Dallas waited too long. It's going to cost them. He's going to get a great deal uh, or he won't take it. And he'll uh, wait it out. And I think either is a great outcome. But he has managed to put himself in the position, in my mind, of having tremendous leverage. Uh, and if you're the player or the agent, that's where you'd love to be. And I think he now has it. Yeah, and I, I've said that I think he should wait. You know, maybe they do throw this incredible deal at him this year. But he's negotiating off a tag compared to negotiating off a rookie deal. Wow. And you're right. Uh -huh. Extraordinary leverage. The only thing that's tough in his situation, and you and I probably took advantage of this over the years, 
when you have somebody who wasn't drafted in the first round. Yeah, and he hadn't made any money. Yeah, hasn't made any money. I'm sure he's made some good marketing money, but in the scheme of you know hundred yeah. plus million dollar contracts, hasn't made any money. You know, it does take a lot of guts to take the risk. You could possibly leave football uh, without financial security uh, to hang in there and wait. But his actions tell me that that he's either going to get a very good deal or that's what he's going to do. Joe, thanks as always. We'll do this again very soon, probably next month. This is uh, always great. I know our time's limited, but we got a lot in there in this half hour. Thanks again. My pleasure. Good talking with you. Really hope you enjoyed that time with Joe. He's the best. Uh, he and I, I think, have a unique ability to sort of take people inside behind the curtain on all these great issues that are happening right now. We had a chock full 35 minutes, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Now, final word from our sponsor, betonline.ag. Everything's going on right now. NFL, college football, it's all heating up. So visit our partners for podcast one. It's betonline.ag. You get the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for your free account. Make sure to use that promo code, podcast one. Get your 50% sign-up bonus today. Look what's ahead this week. Of course, the matchup Joe and I talked about. Philly Green Bay, but you also got Minnesota Chicago, you got Dallas New Orleans, and then in college, USC Washington, Texas A&M, Arkansas Washington State at Utah, Mississippi State Auburn. Go to a, get it all. Visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code podcast one for your fifty percent sign up bonus today. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it, boys and girls, for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. Hope you really enjoyed that interview with Joe Banner. And always appreciate comments and rankings on Apple Podcasts. Of course, to those that you keep following me on Twitter for all of my little nuggets, at Andrew Brandt. Thanks to one Sam Brandt for the music. Thanks to Brian Neal for his wonderful production. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. 
it stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead is out now. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that. <laughs> 